Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. Healthy relationships are vital to healthy ministry. Church planting pastors who don't cultivate healthy relationships won't build healthy churches. As Paul wrote to churches in the New Testament, he constantly emphasized how the gospel ought to shape the relationships amongst God's people. In Ephesians 4, he instructs people to be humble, gentle, and to bear with one another in love. In Colossians 3, Paul exhorts believers to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. In Romans 12, we're told to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor. And in Philippians 2, we're told to count others more significant than ourselves as we follow Jesus together. So Paul is clear, the church is to be marked by healthy relationships. Not perfect ones, we're all sinners after all, but that only reinforces the need for humility, gentleness, forgiveness, and the kind of bearing with one another that the gospel produces. If this is what the New Testament calls churches to, then pastors need to be exemplary in this area. And that's why we believe church planters need to be men who cultivate healthy relationships. But what does this actually look like? To help us think about healthy relationships in church planting, I'm excited to have my friend Lucas Parks with me on the podcast. Lucas is the pastor of Village Church Belfast in Northern Ireland. He's also the country director for Acts 29 Ireland. And Lucas is married to Sue and they have three children. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, so we've had Lucas on uh, with uh, a brother, uh, Andrew Elder, before talking about uh, church planting, and we'll get into uh, some of that uh, a little bit later. But uh, great to have you back. Lucas and I actually just got back from Turkey, where we were uh, part of Acts 29 conference. Uh, We shared uh, the the teaching uh, at this conference on the seven churches of of, uh, Asia Minor, now present-day Turkey. And then went on a bit of a tour uh, of those sites, which was a really unforgettable experience, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a great time, and uh, it was good to good to hang out with you guys in the sunshine and walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And um, yeah, just a whole different uh, perspective when you read the New Testament to actually be there and 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 see how these churches were relating to one another is great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so many cities there. I mean, they're they're all uh, you know. You got the seven in uh, the Book of Revelation, but there are other cities to visit. There's just so much to see in Turkey. A few of the places just really uh, stand out in my mind. One was Pergamum. I just really wasn't ready for how majestic and awesome that site was. And uh, Laodicea is spectacular. And then Ephesus is the place that gets most of the attention. Um, and you know, as we as we talk about relationships. In this podcast here in a moment, I'm currently preaching through the seven churches and really struck by the message to the church in Ephesus that that had sound doctrine, but Jesus said they had lost their love, yeah. um, which I've, I take as a love for both Christ and one another. They, they had lost that initial enthusiasm and zeal and warmth that, that once marked them. Uh, in Ephesians 1, Paul, when he writes to the, to the church, he says um, he thanks God for their love for one another, you know, and then he ends the book of Ephesians by saying, grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Yeah. And so in many ways, it's you've got bookends about 
about love, about a love for Christ, a love for one another. That's right. And so it's very possible, isn't it, to have um, really good doctrine, to, to, to be able to argue well. well. We value doctrine in Acts 29 and That's right, in, yeah. in our churches, but, but really lose a, a gospel culture, you know, a relational culture yeah. that, that also should mark us. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to talk about that here in just a moment. But why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you came sure. to faith, kind of where you're at now. Yeah, yeah. So um, just so there's no confusion with my accent, uh, you're thinking this guy doesn't sound too Irish. Uh, I, I am actually from Northern Ireland originally, and um, my mom is from here, and dad's American. Uh, but we moved to the States um, in really the height of the troubles of Northern Ireland, uh, the kind of civil war that was happening here. So um, so I spent uh, most of my kind of later youth and um, education in the States, went into ministry in the States, um, and uh, and then came back here about 14 years ago and was working on staff at a church and then kind of moved into church planting. So um, planted a church. Um, we've been public a little over five years, but really a project that's been about eight years in the making. And um, yeah, been married 25 years, uh, coming this, this winter, three kids. And um yeah, been in ministry for about 22, 23 years now vocationally. So Yeah, you're an old man now, bro. I know, I feel it. I feel it. So, <laughs> but yeah, came to, came to faith, uh, you know, my mom uh, was a believer. Um my dad uh didn't grow in a, uh, up in a Christian home and I I came to faith uh when I was about 8 or 9 years old and uh and then my dad came to faith about a year after that. So, grew up in a Christian in, in a Christian home and uh you know, in the church and um, you know, like, like anybody in that way, you, you kind of have to eventually f- figure out, do I actually believe these things and to a deeper level? And, and, um, that's really why I went to, I went to Bible college. I was just going to do like a gap year and just go for one year. And it was during that time that I really felt God calling me into ministry and, and, uh, then stayed on and did a, you know, a full theology degree, um, before kind of going into full-time ministry. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Lucas, you've just had some uh, some health issues, right? And uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Recovering from uh, from cancer, um, so diagnosed with cancer last summer, and uh, in in my throat and and neck, and um, by by the grace of God, went through a, a pretty difficult uh, radical kind of treatment within that, and uh, thought I wasn't going to die of cancer, but I was going to die of the cure <laughs> of cancer. And, uh, but, uh, God, this kindness has, has brought me through that and, uh, received my first, uh, clear scan. So it looks like, um, you know, that everything's well and, and good and, um, dealing with a few side effects here and there, but definitely on the road to recovery. Mm. Praise the Lord, man. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of notes there. Um, the church is in the project itself, about eight years, you said, mm-hmm. into it. Um, tell us a little bit about that staff experience you had first at the church, uh, those early years before, I guess, the, the public launch. Yeah, so before we launched publicly, it was really just my wife and I. We didn't really have a core team or anything like that. Um, we had kind of um, have a younger brother who's a musician and kind of started to meet his friends, kind of a group of young urban creatives. And so they were very jaded, very um, cynical towards the church. And so it was really just our relationships with them, our friendships and having them in our home, lots of hospitality, lots of dinners, lots of just hanging out, watching, you know, sports together with, you know, food and uh, like that. So those early days didn't look like a church service. It really was more of a kind of house church of, of us just developing relationships and, you know, I don't even think those people probably would have said, oh, I'm in a discipling relationship, but that's what it was. We were discipling people and seeing them come to faith or, or rediscover their faith. 
um, but super relational. The context wasn't, you know, church services as much as it was our living room and, and going to the pub and, and gigs and, you know, things like that together. So highly, highly relational start to, to our church. Yeah. And I know that relational uh, emphasis is still present in your church, um, yeah, yeah. kind of given where you're at. Talk, talk to the listeners about your context to kind yeah. of walk us through a day there in Belfast where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in Northern Ireland and, uh, you know, some of the stereotypes of, of Irish are, are true. That's why they're stereotypes. So Irish people are very relational and uh, spend we do spend a lot of time in and out of each other's homes. And, um, you know, there's a, a kind of pub culture here that is very different, uh, you know, from going to the bar in America. Um, you know, public houses here as they, you know, are uh, are that. So you bring your family, your kids for dinner there and, and things like that. And um, it's definitely a place where people hang out, exchange ideas, talk, catch up. Um, and cafe culture here, you know, is a big part of that, too. So going out for coffee and um, yeah, very, very relational people, um, which is great. It's a great environment, uh, to, to plant churches in because of that, you know, um, some, some other European cultures, a little more closed off, guarded, um, Irish people for the most part are pretty warm and open and, um, uh, in that, in that way. So, yeah, yeah. So do the people at the cafes and the pubs know you, they know you're a pastor? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, we, we try to, some of this is, is, you know, cultural, but some of it's intentional as well, going to the same uh, places in our neighborhood and being known and being present and, and really kind of a faithful presence there. And, and so people do, you know, what do you do? And you get to know each other. And, and, um, so they do, they know I'm a pastor and, um, you know, I was able to do the wedding of one of the cafe owners and, you know, things like that. So, um, although they don't attend our church, um, you know, just trying to be a faithful presence, almost a, you know, an unofficial chaplain, you know, in the, in the, mm-hmm. com- in the community in that way, trying to, you know, be, be a, a witness and a, and a presence of the gospel there. What would be some of the reasons why that couple, for example, or others you, that um, respect you, uh, like you, wouldn't come uh, on a Sunday morning? What are some of the questions or stumbling blocks that you found? Well, I mean, the history in Northern Ireland is is a bit of a tumultuous one with with religion, and obviously, um, the big kind of conflict here was not because they were Catholics and Protestants, but those lines were also a part of of, of the conflict here, and so some of that is um, for us. We weren't necessarily dealing; we're dealing with younger kind of generation who saw some of the problems of the past, uh, some of the conflict, um, some of the um, reasons why. You know, the community was so divided as the church being a part of that. And so some of our biggest barriers in that are the church history of our past year and trying to untangle the gospel from, you know, uh, religious institutionalism in a sense. And so, you know, you're you're trying to help people understand. We're teaching through the Sermon on the Mount at the minute, and I'm struck with, you know, Jesus's um, uh, refrain over and over again, you have you know, heard said, um, but I say to you, and and that's a lot of the work here is, you know, listen, I, I know this is what you think the church might be like, or this is what you think, you know, the church represents. And some of that is true. It, it, uh, the church here hasn't always done a, a good job of being faithful to that and has unfortunately gotten entangled in politics in some ways. But um, so trying to untangle some of those things so they can actually see what the gospel is, what, what church really should be about, although we're not perfect in any way um, with that. And so, and that's why I think relationships are so important because it's, it's the basis where you're able to have that trust, where they're actually able to see your life. Otherwise, it's just all theory and it's, you know, this ethereal kind of 
way, but it's, it's inviting people into relationships, into the community so they can actually experience what the church is like, what the faith community is like. And that's where they're confronted with, oh, uh, I thought the church was about politics. I thought the church was about X, Y, and Z or whatever. Um, but my experience of these people, these friendships, these relationships, isn't that, you know, it's something different from. So, yeah, it's very important. That's good, man. So at the top, I mentioned uh, several passages, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Romans 12, etc. Um, and uh, in this uh, podcast series right now, we're, you know, looking through the, uh, the competencies of Acts 29, the kind of characteristics we want to see in a church planter. And they, they all kind of play off of each other, right? They all, you know, they're, they're not compartmentalized. Um, so when we think about our competencies like spiritual vitality, Christian maturity, theological clarity, all of these in some ways uh, affect relationships, right? So talk to us a little bit about uh, how these sorts of things factor in the way church planters build and cultivate healthy relationships. Well, in some ways, you know, you can have your theological stuff all, all sorted in your own mind. You can have all that set out. You can have your, you know, your church strategy and all those sorts of things. But really, at the end of the day, how those things get played out are in relationships. It's, it's the, the relationships are your context for that, whether that be your marriage or, or as a parent, your relationship with your kids, with your friends, um, all of these things. And so how people see your theology worked out is in the context of your relationships. And so I can say, all, you know, I can, I can have all the right answers. I can have all those things, but if it doesn't actually affect my life and work my way into um, relationships, how we bear with one another, how we forgive one another, how we, you know, put up with one another in some ways or, or sacrifice for each other, then all those other things are for nothing, especially with, I think, the world watching. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, some of my concerns even at the minute are around some of that. I think social media makes these things even more complicated, um, you know, to a watching world where we're having relationships, even within the church, even pastors with one another. And um, man, there's so many times where how we are disagreeing or how we're trying to work out certain kind of um, theological issues, as you said, or things like that. Um, the way that we conduct ourselves in those relationships, I think, sometimes betrays our what we say about our theology. And mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I just think we, we need to be very aware of that. How, how, how does our theology affect our relationships to the watching world? Yeah, absolutely. I think about First uh, John, uh, the great emphasis on loving one another. You know, and how he. Well, it's an evidence of our faith, isn't it? So if yeah. if you don't, if you say you have love, if you say you love one another, but you don't, you you have to actually question: Am I? If we are united with Christ, you know, so union with Christ is so critical to this. If I am united to Christ, and so are you then we are united to one another as brothers in that way. And if there if there's no evidence of how we treat each other and love each other in that way, then that questions the basis of that union, doesn't it? And so yeah. and that's where John is is crystal clear um, within that. Um, mm-hmm. you, we think we're walking in light. We think we're walking in love, but it's not. It's darkness. It's we've betrayed, mm-hmm. we've lied to our own self. And I, I think you got um, the the temptation too to um, love people as an idea. Like you don't disagree again with the concept. You don't disagree with the concept of the church. But when you ask someone, "Who are you loving? Uh, give me a name. Give me a place. Who 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 has been in your house? Who who have you forgiven lately? Who have you asked for forgiveness from lately?" When you start digging into those questions, then it, it gets out of the realm of idea and concept into reality. And I think um, 
uh, we, we could use a revival of healthy relationships and of uh, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, not being envious of one another, um, not r- being a rival uh, with an, another, you know. I think it's important, too. I mean, those things are so all of these things become so much an evidence of that. And so us as pastors setting the example um, of those things, it's so easy for us to. Uh, challenge people to be involved in fellowship, to know what the Bible teaches on godly friendships. But if we're not modeling that, if, 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 if we can't have names like you just said to those things, and if, if our congregation can't actually see that, or they're not actually experiencing that from us, um, then there's a deficit that's there. There's no, there's, there's not a richness that, that's there. So when I, when, you know, if I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and these relationships or not being a hypocrite in these things or first John, um, and my congregation doesn't, that's not the experience they've had of me as a person or, or of each other. We've not created that kind of culture. Then there's a, there's an emptiness it ring, those things ring hollow. And so I think we have to work hard, um, as pastors, of the, not just that we're teaching the right things, but that we're cultivating that kind of culture. Uh, yeah, absolutely. As well. Absolutely. Let's, let's think a little bit about aspiring church planters who are listening. Um, you mentioned social media, so that's a, a shared concern that, that I have, just about the way um, we engage people and uh, present ourselves before a watching world. And um, uh, I, I'd love to know where your Twitter status is uh, because you, uh, I think, mentioned you were taking a break or there was. I some, am, yeah. I've, you, I've, I've taken the month of May off. I've, I've, I've read a book called Digital Minimalism that I found challenging in a lot of ways. And and uh, so I've I've uh, taken a hiatus for the month of May, and I'm I'm going to reintroduce um, those things if I reintroduce them with some intentionality and trying to uh, use this month to uh, think about how I'm going to um, reintroduce those things if I do. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine I will, but things like Twitter, um, you know, I, I imagine I'm going to use that in a different kind of way than I did before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. good because I've not always got that right either or, or perfect either yeah. um when i tweet i always want to make sure you know remind myself that there there are, i have lots of non-christian friends that will see this so not just what am i saying but how am i saying this how is this going to communicate um those things as well and usually honestly the the times that my you know twitter then a conversation might get a little more heated or something like that is usually with other christians it's not mm-hmm. with non-believers uh, you know, where I've regretted saying things, it's to, it's to other, maybe, you know, pastors that I know, I, I really try to have a rule not to get into Twitter arguments with strangers, but, um, but with people that I know that, you know, you care about, you think they might be an error or whatever. Um, but I've, you know, I've, I've certainly posted things, um, the content of which I probably would still stand over, but the, the tone or the way that I went about that, I, you know, probably look back on with regret. So I'm trying to, to change those things and, and be better at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even the platform itself is uh, in, in question as to how you how you treat someone that you disagree with. Right. So we've it's it's typical, it seems uh, at least too typical um, for somebody just to go off on a person who's a brother or sister in Christ instead of, hey, can we meet? Can we talk on the phone? Can we? It's one-on-one. Instead, it's now in front of the whole world. And that's just not a way you treat a brother in Christ. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think there's a lot of that can be under the, the you know, kind of guise of, well, you know, this person has said it publicly, and so I want to correct it publicly. Or, you know, my congregation can learn from this as they see me engage with that. And there might be some level of truth to that. 
And, and maybe at the beginning of Twitter, that might have been true. But I think the culture of how we approach these things now has reached a tipping point where I'm not sure that that benefit outweighs the, <laughs> you know, the damage that's that's actually being done there um, within that. So, amen. Yeah. On the on the same subject of church planters being um, really good relationally, um, I, I think it's it's pretty typical to to have guys who are coming up through our, our pipeline um, that are perhaps good preachers, um, good communicators, uh, good good uh, theologians, but are terrible with people. Um, have you encountered that? What do you do? About sure. That? Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah, no, definitely. I, I, you know, I think that's why our assessment's really important. Um, you know, why we've even gone from just a, a, a couple hour interview to actually, you know, assessment conferences where you get to spend more time with people, see how they interact with not just you, but with each other, with their, you know, um, spouses, things like that. So, and trying to, um, evaluate that as much as possible, because I think that's true. And, and, in some ways, we forget that being a church planter is being a pastor, and mm-hmm. pastoring is shepherding sheep. Uh, it's people. And so mm-hmm. it's not just that, oh, I get to preach, I'm going to create this structure. Uh, you know, we can think about church planting without ever thinking about the church, the, the people. And, get, and so my, my warning would be, if you're excited, if what your dreams um, are about church planting— aren't the faces of people <laughs> and aren't the people that you're actually going to get to reach, be in relationship with, see, come to know Jesus, grow in their faith um, within that. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think where you've seen that is guys will plant a church. And once it moves from plant to church, just a church that you actually now have to pastor, you have to counsel people. There's marriages that you have to deal with. There's disgruntled relationships between people. You know, that's the hard emotional kind of work. Do people have not just a theological acumen or a strategic acumen, but are there, is there an emotional IQ um, that people can actually enter into relationships with people? Because that's messy. Church structures, doctrine, you and your books in your office for hours on end, that's, that's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, people are hard. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, and people drain your energy and, and all those things. You know, it's, it's the old Charlie Brown kind of, you know, I love the church if it weren't for all the people in it, you know, yeah, yeah, sort of yeah. that, you know, thing. Yeah. And, um, and so being a church planter means you actually have to be a pastor um, yep. too. It's not just, you know, theoretical structure stuff. Yeah. I'm just looking at the uh, pastoral qualifications in one Timothy three. Think about how many of these are relational um, above reproach husband of one wife, though there's a relationship we haven't even touched yet. Um, sober minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, all of which have to do in some level with relationship with people able to teach, uh, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. And so there, there's a virtue we we haven't extolled enough in ministry: gentleness, <laughs> uh, not quarrelsome. Uh, another relationship uh, issue: managing your household well. Another relationship uh, issue must be thought of uh, well by outsiders. Uh, verse seven. So, so, so many of just the the basic marks of a pastor have to do with how you handle people and manage relationships. So um, I think there's some real challenges there. I think one word, uh, I guess, then to pastors and planters, just to draw some implications, is to make this a priority, um, to, 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 to recognize this, to seek to, to grow in it, to be aware of things like uh, social media engagement, be aware of not just loving the idea of the church, but actually loving people in the church, uh, practicing hospitality, um, being gentle. Um, all of these are important. Um, 
to not assume that spiritual maturity is about how much we know, but but you know, but how we how we live um, based upon uh, what we know in, in the gospel. And so I think um, it would just it's really good to do a regular. Uh, assessment of our lives, uh, of how we doing in these areas. Um, I think the the tech age is probably uh, made made this even a greater challenge. Um, obviously, sin has been in the world forever, so we've we've always had alienation and and uh, broken relationships and and strained relationships. Um, but now, I just wonder about the 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 impact it's having on people's ability to just actually have engagement with human yeah. beings right yeah 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 absolutely the face the faceless kind of uh almost anonymous or, or it feels anonymous even though it isn't at all um way that we're able to do that and and i uh, and i wonder how much of our time and our energy is actually spent um you know with people that we're not actually seeing face to face and and doing life with um, in that way even to the detriment of our wives and kids and families uh in that way um, never mind the actual, you know, friendships we have. And I, and, I, and I think pastors struggle with friendships a lot of time as well. They find, they find themselves struggling with, with real friendship, find themselves a bit isolated and then, you know, turning to these kind of pseudo relationships on online or whatever, um, as a substitute for that. And mm-hmm. so I, that's another reason why I think doing a regular social media fast, uh, just for that reason alone. Um, it forces you back into regular face-to-face relationships. Yeah. Um, um, never mind all the other kind of uh, ways as well. Absolutely. I rem- when I was in seminary, I remember we had a required course. It was called Interpersonal Relationship Skills. Yeah. <laughs> and they they basically required this course after so many graduates. Uh, you know, they, they I, I think, uh, surveyed the churches where the graduates went. And the issue with churches and pastor was, was always relational. It was it was conflict. Now it wasn't. I'm sure always the fault of the pastor, uh, knowing uh, churches. But still, I think um, it was a, a good effort to say, "Hey, this is critical." Uh, but uh, I was laughing because a friend of mine um, told me now that course is offered online. Uh, interpersonal relationship <laughs> skills. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it kind of misses the point, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. I, th- I think. Uh, you know. Uh, I think it's important to have good, even mentors, you know, one, that's where I've learned so many of these things where I had older guys, um, that were good relationally and, and maybe not even, you know, that might not have been the, the guys that I looked up to the most theologically or in some of these other areas, but man, um, they're just really good friends. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we knew how to laugh together. We knew how to cry together and, um, lean on one another and, and I, I just think a lot of pastors um, miss out on some of those layers of that, um, mm-hmm. having having peers. So I, we just formed a, a cohort, um, me and, and, and four other 829 pastors, um, you know, to meet up for some of that relational connectivity, um, meeting with local pastors, you know, in your in your local area. Um, our, our staff try to eat lunch together every day. Um, elders, you know, with our wives and families having dinner together periodically, just so that it's not always business. It's not that you're actually being able to develop relationships, friendships um, within that. And I think we overlook that um, a lot. And mm-hmm. the older I get, the more I realize 
how important those things are. Yeah. So th- those are some really helpful things that we've sort of gathered up here in terms of uh, social media, uh, uh, intentional planning to be with one another, to hang out together. Um, let's kind of land on maybe the the gospel on the fruit of a gospel uh, producing uh, relationships. Um, I think this is where we would we would want to start. So it, it, right, if if someone is being honest of man, I'm just I'm not really relational. I I, I don't know that I would be characterized as you know a a a, a warm hospitable you know a friend um we would drive them first to the gospel wouldn't we what how would you counsel this person who genuinely wants to grow in the area of uh, relational uh warmth and love well I, I do it's 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 our own heart that has to be kindled with uh with that warmth and love of the gospel first so that where are we receiving um, are we confident in that um, of the Lord as well? And so many times I think when my relationships, you know, with other people are broken, it's because my relationship with the Lord isn't where it really needs to be as well. So looking to what Jesus has done for me, looking at to uh, how, the lengths that the Father has gone to to demonstrate his love for me while I was still a sinner, while I was still an enemy, while I was still being, you know, uh, rejecting Jesus or those times where my heart goes cold in that way. That's how my heart is warmed once again as to be able to see what God has done for me in Christ, um, mm-hmm. that he has forgiven me, that he has bore with me, that he is, uh, you know, all of these things that I might struggle with with other people. Um, uh, when I want to retreat and be alone, even the type of God that we have is a Trinitarian God in relationship um, in that way. And so it is, it's going back to those foundational truths that warm my own heart um, of who God is, and what he has done for me um, through that, that then allows me to forgive other people, to bear with one another, to not isolate myself, uh, to not try to do things on my own just for expediency or, or because it's more productive or I can get it done quicker. Um, and not to see people as utilitarian or to be used by, but to actually be enjoyed by um, them, that they are the point. They're not the product of these things. And um, God doesn't treat me that way. Um, God doesn't use me. Um, for for his end as a cog in the wheel, as it were, that he actually loves me for who I am um, mm. within that. And so it is, it's those basic truths of the gospel that we lose sight of that affects so many parts of our life, but certainly um, our relationships at the core of that. Yeah. So yeah. betterness, you know, that sets in, well, you know, what are some of the reasons that we, that, that we are struggling with that? Is it, I, I'm tired? Is it, you know, am I trying to do too many things? Um, am I trying to, you know, uh, win some kind of approval um, from God instead of just resting in what he's done for me. There's so many different diagnostics that, you know, what are the reasons that my relationships are struggling at the minute? You know, mm-hmm. is it tiredness? Is it, is it, you know, bitterness? Is it, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing myself in right relationship um, with the Lord trying to earn in some kind of capacity. So, so many times we can come back right to the heart of the gospel with whatever those um, reasons that we think are um, and find the solution and answer to them there foundationally. Yeah, because it's very possible, isn't it, to be doing the right sorts of things with the wrong motivations? Absolutely. I mean, this is the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? So (laughs) it's funny because the way Jesus describes hypocrites is different than us. So we think a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. And Jesus says, no, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing, does that thing, but does it with a wrong heart motive. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we can, and, and that, that really cuts to me as a pastor because my idea of a hypocrite saying one thing and doing another, I'm like, no, nope, that's not me. 
But when you go, no, that's not how Jesus defines, it's, it's not the only way he defines a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. You can say and do the right things, but do them out of a wrong heart and a wrong heart motive. And he's, there's no reward in that. The father doesn't recognize that. That's, yeah. you're, that's you know, you're doing that for, for the wrong reasons. I think another example is, is the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, where Jesus actually commends their work, their toil, um, and their endurance, but they have no love. And so the question is, why were they working so hard? What was their motive for their endurance? What was their motive for their toil? Because you can you can be doing labor even in 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 ministry, but it can be driven by wanting approval, wanting praise, um, wanting to be known as right, um, all of these sorts of things, and, and as well as your perseverance. So I think it's we it, it really gets back to the heart. It always does of our our love for Christ and our love for people. Like we want to. We want to toil and labor and endure because Jesus is worth it and because the church is his bride and we want to, we want to love uh, his church. So I think we, uh, we definitely need to, to make relationships, you know, uh, well, we have. It's one of our core competencies. That's in, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, in Acts 29, and it's for this reason we want to produce guys who are not just, you know, brains on a stick uh, who just have good theology, but they, they, they love Christ and they love people. And yeah. um, It's the summary of the law, isn't it? It's what Jesus says. This is it. Like the whole law can be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. But I can be like the Pharisees. I want to practice my righteousness to be seen by other people and not, not for those people. I want, I want to be thought highly of. I want to be thought well of. And Jesus says, that's it. That's your reward. God doesn't do any, doesn't recognize that as legit. And so do it out of the right heart for your love for God. And, and out of that flows in our love for other people. And, and so when that happens, when my heart is in the right place, when I'm genuinely doing that, it's funny because I don't feel as tired. I don't feel as drained by people. I don't feel now, you know, we still need to rest and do all those things. But mm-hmm. usually the more tired I feel or the more frustrated I am or whatever is usually because my heart's not in the right place. It's not because ministry has gotten all of a sudden harder or difficult or, or whatever. Uh, there are those practical things for sure. But usually it's because my heart has gotten cold. Um, it's not as warm for the Lord and for other people. And so, um, it is. It's going back to warming my heart at the fires of the good news of the gospel once again and spending time with the Father, being reassured of those things um, mm. and rekindling my love for Him again. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a great place to land. Let's go out today and uh, love Christ and, and love the world. Uh, Lucas, always a pleasure to uh, to see you and uh, yeah, to you chat too. with you. I still have a pub in Belfast on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see you in Orlando. We'll make up for it. We'll find an Irish pub in Orlando somewhere (laughs) in the summer. (laughs) That sounds great, man. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Yeah. Amen.